0: Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of One Click Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies, we feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of B2B Made Simple. Joining me on the show today, I have Jeff Reekers. He is the CMO at Aircall. Really excited to have him on the show today. So Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Sam, thanks so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, man. I feel like this has been kind of a long time coming. I know we chatted back and forth about getting you on the show and uh, I'm excited to finally have you here and, and just talk marketing. One of my favorite topics, of course. Yes, mine as well. So happy to dive into it. Awesome, man! But before we get into like the marketing topic, I always like to kick it off with like a, a fun question. So, if you had to choose between uh, Coke and Pepsi, what do you think you would choose and why? Well, I,
1: I uh, drink a lot of Coca Cola, so I'm definitely a Coke person.
0: Easy enough, right? Um,
1: yeah. So I, I don't know why. Um, we were a Coke family, and so just a generational, you know, generational thing continues. Um. So Coke, Diet Coke, you know, I drink uh, caffeine-free Coke in the
0: evenings. So it's, a, it's an easy choice for me because I live it. I live it on a day-to-day basis. There you go, man. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, now let's move on to some marketing stuff. Now we got the fun. Well, this is continued fun. Marketing is continued fun. I'm, You know, you're in it for a while, so you would probably agree. But uh, today we're going to talk about a lot of different things. So we'll just jump in and we'll kind of like see where the conversation takes us. But my first question for you is why should marketing teams invest heavily in both brand and creative? I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, first, I mean, on the brand side, I think, um, I think a lot of modern B2B marketing, we talk a lot about um, demand generation and, and then this often goes into the tactics of channels and maybe digital channels that we invest in and so on and lead generation. But, um, um really believe in first starting with the core which is um, which is brand and really knowing your why, how, what and your purpose and why you exist and um, understanding the customer at a really deep level. And so first it all starts with you know with these really core fundamentals um and the uh, as you define those as an organization, a big component of this is differentiation and really speaking to the market. And they're speaking to the customer, and so brand, creative, all these things um, go into this. And if you don't have these as like the foundational steps, you just kind of get lost into the, the sea of ab B two B SaaS world or B two B or software or whatever markets that you might be in. Um, yeah, it's it, it's interesting maybe to take to take a step back. I, I look at um, Scott Brinker puts together this uh, SaaS landscape. Um, infographic every single year. And I have a presentation that I share internally uh, at Aircall of what it looked like in 2011 and what it looks like in is, is 2021 version. And you look at these categories for software and any individual category. In 2011, there's maybe like five, six apps. And now it's just, there's hundreds and hundreds of applications for any individual marketing software, whatever, software, marketing software, sales software, hundreds of applications to choose from. So how do you stand out? in that sea. Um, it's not your strategy on AdWords. It's not, um, you know, the necessarily the digital components, it's the brand and, um, uh, and creative and making sure you really have a distinguished message. So that's where we, we, I believe in putting a lot of focus there before mm-hmm. expanding outwards and, uh, and so on and lead and demand, gen. you
0: know, what's interesting is I just came across a post, uh, Gatano Denardi posted. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he's been in the B2B space for, a very long time, as far as I know. And he just moved into the direct to consumer or the B2C side of things. He said, I'll never go back to B2B after this. He said, all we care about is brand over here. No more eBooks, no more trying to generate stupid leads. Like if you think about it in the B2C side, there's way more competition for a, a specific vertical or specific industry. So if there's one app to like, let's say one fitness app, typically there's only a hundred other ones, just like you're seeing in the SaaS world, right? That is starting yeah. to creep up with all these very similar uh, tools. Right. Yeah. And because of that, now the only differentiation has to be the brand. And that's what he's like, dude, it's amazing. It's so much fun over here. And that's where kind of what you're saying, more B2B companies need to be focusing on that here in the SaaS world. Right.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, I I think, um, you know, let's just take like stock imagery as an example. I think we were chatting about this before at Oracle. We've never once used a stock image. Mm -hmm. No, never. And it's been a rule since day one. No stock imagery. It's like everything we create is, um, part of our our um, is a representation of our brand. It's unique, and the stock mark, like the stock photography, is just one example. But then these little small examples, if you let those things go, they become uh like the culture of the organization mm-hmm. as it grows to be generic and bland and whatever. Um, and so yes, I totally agree. It's like it starts with brand, and it starts with understanding the customer and having a specific vantage point and not being afraid to live that vantage point. And that means you won't be great for everybody. It means, um, you know, it, it, that won't message won't resonate for everybody. But I think that's like having a vision at the same time and having yeah, uh, a vantage point. And so, um, yeah, I, I, was, I totally agree with that. Uh, those sentiments.
0: Do you think you ever, hundred percent truly know your buyer or is that constantly a journey that you should be on just like marketing is constantly being refined? Well, we, we look at it and
1: use um, what's called a customer empathy map. Mm-hmm. And this is always being defined and redefined. Customer empathy map being really understanding the customer is what are they not not just what is their persona what's their title and these sorts of things what do they hear see feel do think on a day to day basis what messages are are they getting infiltrated with on a day-to-day basis what are they this what is their day like and they're sitting down what are the tabs on their browser look like what does their commute to work look like like what's the stressors in their uh in their in their life as a whole what are they doing outside of the office what are colleagues saying to them on a day-to-day basis. What do the family members think of their, their roles and their jobs? Do they not have any clue what they're doing? Like really understanding customer inside and out. Um, and we constantly evolve that. We do something called customer talks. So first, as a marketer, you've gotta be talking with customers every single week. If, if you're not, you're really like losing, you're, you're gonna lose sight of who the customer is or not keep up with new, who the new customers are that um, you're seeing. Um, and we do something as an organization to scale this called Customer Talks. And Customer Talks is simply, um, I invite one of our customers onto a conversation. We have a 45 minute dialogue in front of the entire company. And it's an opportunity for everyone in the company to just understand the customer better. And we go through all these um, customer empathy map types of questions to get to know the individual, and then to get to know the why, like what resonates, what doesn't resonate, um, product-wise, we might have things that we think are really incredible and valuable. We get somebody on uh, the customer talk and they're talking directly with our product team <laughs> and giving messages that might be really contrary to that. And so it's really critical to consistently talk to the customer and always be updating that because um, you know it just changes the nature of life. And so it's just keeping up with, uh, with that and
0: customer needs, um, customers change as well. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to brand, obviously the foundation and like building a brand, right? And investing Mm -hmm. in it, obviously the foundation is knowing your buyers, continually getting to know them, continually uh, learning more about them. What else, when you say like invest in brand, what else are you talking about? Or is that it? Well,
1: we look at a brand equity pyramid. I really believe in this, uh, this concept, brand equity pyramid being at the very, very top, your purpose, your why, your how, your what, why do you exist? What are you bringing into the world? And to really understand, there's just two components. There's one, take what's what's. why are you relevant? What's happening in the world right now? And what's this interesting narrative? And second, um, what is your company uh, at its best? And these two things, the convergence of these two things really lives, why your your company exists, lives at the intersection of those two things. So first, defining that, uh, and you can't do that too early. Um, as a company, as well. Um, second, you take these concepts. And for example, at Aircall, we really focus. There's plenty of, of softwares in the contact center space, in the voice space. Um, we believe in um, the. We have a concept of power of conversation. Specifically, we believe in bringing empathy in the conversations. Mm-hmm. Empathy to us is about real time conversations, being able to augment those, improve them, make them better for every employee, every service uh, agent. Uh, every sales rep. Uh, and so then it comes into the, the real-time. Real-time is is a big part of air call, and that's how you can impact a conversation. And if you can inject better insights in real-time, you can have better empathy and you can better um, impact um, emotionally somebody on the other end. And so, okay, so we know this portion. Then you have to go down to the product. And product is, this is the second part of the pyramid. So this is your points of differentiation, uh, your points of parity, and your points of irrelevant indifference. And I think a lot of companies miss this component. And this is a core part of brand, because this is how you're going to talk about the, the product, the features, etc. cetera. So the differentiation, I think we focus a lot on. What, how is, um, you know, air, air called different from competitors, or whatever app, uh, different from competitors. Then the other two are really critical. Where are you just going to be competitive? You're not the best, but you offer it and you have it and you compete with the rest of the market. And then most importantly is what do you not do? What is your points of irrelevant indifference? Um, These are really critical things to understand. And this is gonna formulate a lot of your messaging um, thereafter. So if you can get these components down, the purpose, um, the points of differentiation, indifference, um, and then move on to the next portion which is your personality as a company, your brand personality. And this really comes from understanding the customer, uh, understanding your company DNA, um, understanding the market dynamics as well. Like who else is on the market? You have to speak differently than everybody else. So are you friendly? Are you more serious? What's your tone? All these sorts of things. So these are the, the main three pillars that we look at on this pyramid. We have these defined, and then it comes all the executional equities. Um, your What channels you're gonna go after. if all these points, um, you put them together and it really defines like we have uh, our target market's going to be in the small business space or industry X, Y, Z is where we need to focus. These become your, your, your sort of exec, executional equities. Mm-hmm. And this is where, how you derive your demand strategy and so on. So I, I think in other words, often we go the opposite way. A new marketer comes on and you start with the demand gen side. And I think you should, you've got to get some things going, of course. But you forget about all the other pillars before that, and if you can really create a consistent, a lot of clarity there, that's going to how you're. That's going to be how you're extremely consistent in all your messaging and your strategy, and so on. And then you've got all the executional sides on the demand mm-hmm. uh, that 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 you um, move forward on. I hope I didn't go way too far in, in
0: depth on that. <laughs> no, this is this is good. I I have never heard someone describe uh, the point of indifference before. I thought that was really cool. And let me not, let me. Try and see if I can put like an analogy to this and tell me if I'm wrong. So basically, let's say that there is a competitor to Salesforce, right? But they have one sliver of what Salesforce does. They do way better, right? So in sales calls, a lot of times, let's just say they bring someone on and the first question is, oh, so why are you guys better than Salesforce? And if you go at the macro, they're not better than Salesforce, right? But they haven't told people, look, we're not trying to compete with Salesforce. We have one sliver that we're doing better. So the indifference or the point of indifference for them would be, look, we don't do all these other things. We do this one portion really well. Is that kind exactly. of what you're talking about? Exactly. Air call. we don't do desk phones. If
1: somebody needs desk phones, we don't do them. It's, it's uh, irrelevant indifference. That's not where the world's going. So um, if you need that, that's not what we do. Well, we focus born in the cloud. So you know, this is where we focus and we go into that. And so by trying to do too much and not really defining as a company what you don't do, you're not going to speak to that earlier portion, the purpose that you really have. You're not gonna have a really great narrative for it. And so exa- exactly that, like i um, gonna do all these things, but if you need this, this is where we're best at. And really, if you can really define that, not only through the differentiator, but it has to come in, uh,
0: it, it has to pair with what you don't do mm-hmm. as well. That makes a ton of sense. We've actually been doing that without being able to put like a label on it here at OneClick. So we do like simply web development like Mm -hmm. WordPress. Right. And when you hear agency, you think, Oh, well they do branding packages, logo design. They do web development, web design, uh, paid search, SEO. And that's like your agency. Right. But like, we're trying to do something different and be good at one thing. And I never really thought to connect like point of indifference That's because we've been trying to find a way to like get that out into the market in a way. So the point of indifference is genius. So I love that. That's awesome. You brought that up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and, And it's become so critical to define these things mm-hmm. early on as a company, because you know we've we've um, we've got offices and 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 um, marketing teams all across the globe uh, at this point, and so and sales teams all across the globe. So if that wasn't really concrete and defined. you would have we'd have sales reps selling, desk, you know, all sorts of things and piecing these together. But if that's defined as part of the ethos and brand of the company, mm-hmm. then it, uh, it makes it a very effective and scalable uh, foundation.
0: So with you guys being a, goal, a global brand, what has that been like for you when it comes to communicating your brand and your message at both the local level and keeping it together at the global level? Because I think it, it has some nuances, right?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting um, point and in question. I think this is why we've really emphasized the brand component so much because it, we use a B2C example here, but it's much this, it's the same philosophy. If you're Starbucks, you walk into a Starbucks in Amsterdam versus New York or San Francisco or Lisbon, or whatever it is, it's going to be the same experience overall. And so um, though we're not a physical location, we need to think the same in terms of uh, marketing and B2B, which is um, it is the same brand. It's the same company. It's the same purpose. Um, and if your experience and that experience and that message has to be similar all across the globe, because we have to have that consistency. Um, and so we have, and we've set up our team to be very global as a result of that. And we have global concepts and then regional executions. And so you're, you're going to have a global messages. We're going to have global frameworks, regional teams, then almost similar to like a franchising model are going to have flexibility within that to um, adapt to the local climate and the local market because there are going to be specific nuances that are really critical for local markets. And so there's a global framework and then local field teams are responsible for executing within that framework in their local markets. And so that's going to, we're going to be able to adapt messaging within a, a certain confines, channels that we, we um, our go-to-market channels that we use. Um, yeah, there's very different maybe angles to uh, PR or stories that are happening on a macro level that we need to be really sensitive to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so
0: all these things we adapt regionally then. Yeah. That's super interesting because I'm, I'm sure it can get a little bit complicated, but then again, like you just don't want to overthink it because it is the same brand. Right? Yes, exactly. I mean, the way you use at a very easy level, like,
1: um, let's use humor, for example, like the concept of humor, is very different in all mm-hmm. individual regions. And so if we're running uh, a global campaign, maybe on, um, oh, let's just, you know, humorous customer service interactions or something like this that will happen, that's going to be very, very different. That's really true. Regionally. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so you can have a global concept, but then regionally, you cannot use the same thing in every single uh, area. So you've got to really think regionally and how you're going to execute on that.
0: What about brand shortcuts? I'm curious to hear, like, what you think of brands looking for those, trying to kind of like get a cheat code for building a brand? like what's the harm in those and, and what should we watch out for? Um, a, a brand
1: shortcut what would you what would be an example of a brand shortcut in your?
0: So basically, what should we why should we stop looking for shortcuts? I guess is a better question as a brand like trying to build this brand with a hack instead of like, Really knowing your customers, I guess, could be like a shortcut. Is like trying to skip knowing your customers and just getting from point A to point B way faster than you really should.
1: Well, I'm gonna give a very non-like marketing or or uh, answer here, like non, uh, just more of a, a human answer, which is um, authenticity, and it's uh, and it's it's really uh, caring. It's not it's it's starting from a human aspect versus. Uh, I've got to meet X dollars of revenue by next quarter mm-hmm. question. And so it has to start with um, some connection to mission. It has to start with some connection to customer and it has to start with a lot of empathy. If you're not starting there, it's going to be really difficult. And I think if it doesn't start there, then, you know, it, it'll be a scenario where um, you you do these things, you hack it together. Um And maybe you run piece by piece and you create some non-scalable infrastructure or whatever, and you're just doing things for the short term. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then you hop into a new role, a new job, new company, whatever, and so on. And maybe you can continue from there. But I think if you really want to create something fantastic, it has to start at a very human level. And um, you know, it has to start in an aspect, which is we're put on this planet to do great work and have empathy and to care, and you've got to put that into your work. And to the, the foundations of this—it's really understanding who you're impacting, why you're impacting them, what benefits you can get, you can provide. I um, mean, really thinking about it from a mission-centric standpoint. And this is how I've always thought of B two B marketing um, uh, as a whole. It's really trying to get past the software point and what are we actually impacting? Um, what value are we bringing into the world? If you really start there, then there's no reason for the short-term hacks because that's going to give like, that's the long-term fuel and that's where it gets really fun and interesting Mm -hmm. um, as well. So I I think if you're looking for the short-term hacks, not doing all the work behind the scenes, um, then really you're just, uh, you know, you're you're missing out a lot of components. And I think the scalability portion will be very difficult.
0: You know, we touched on this before, but I'd love to hear uh, what you think of this. So, I'll give you my definition of what empathy is. And then mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear like what you say about it as well, because I always heard as a market, oh, you need to have empathy for your buyers. And we, we're kind of hammering this home today, right? And it sounds like, oh yeah, uh, right. Empathy, everyone knows what empathy is, but I never really thought about like, what does that actually mean? And it doesn't mean agreeing and basically just agreeing with like your buyers all the time, right? That doesn't mean what it is. It's literally just understanding them at a deep level to know how they function. Would you agree with that? Or is there like a different definition that you think of?
1: I think that's really well said. It's, uh, it's understand, it's, uh, understanding Mm -hmm. sharing the feelings one another and it's an emotional level. Um, and it's going deep to really understand. Does not mean, um, saying yes to everything? Uh, (laughs) Um, it doesn't mean agreeing. Mm -hmm. It means understanding um, and internalizing,
0: uh, as well. Can you walk us through your voice of customer report? Um, and again, if it takes a little bit too long, that's all right. This is good. This is a good talk, but I'm curious to know, we chatted about it before. Um, you guys have like what's called an 11 star experience. Can you uh, walk us through that?
1: Yeah. I mean, this, this goes back, back into, um, like, <laughs> starting with the customer Mm -hmm. and like the first thing we should be thinking about as marketers is delivering an incredible customer journey and customer experience. That's where it all starts. And this is, I think often we think customer experience and customer experience happens post-sale and maybe support is, is um, doing a a lot with this or whatever. Um, But customer experience starts with the first time you have an interaction with a brand all through the entire life cycle. From there and this is marketing's responsibility every step of the way a great experience is every single interaction and so we use an exercise internally called the 11 star customer experience and this came from a podcast with um the airbnb ceo um, on masters of scale with uh, reed hoffman and um uh, in it he uses he's got tons and tons of great stories in this um Uh, uh, interview. But one of them uh, uh, that he uses is um, it's 11 star concept because he was challenged with, they were challenged at an early stage with how do we really differentiate from uh, hotels? Hmm. Because you go to a hotel and you leave a hotel, a five-star, four-star review, whatever. So Airbnb getting new on the market, they've got to figure out how do we actually steal customers from hotels? Hmm. Well, if you use the same framework and the same mindset and you're just a four or five-star, no one's going to really change over. So they had to redefine Uh, The customer experience as a whole and go beyond what traditionally was thought of as a five-star customer experience for accommodations. And so they really stretched out and thought, what's a six-star experience? What's a seven-star, eight-star, nine-star, 10-star, 11-star, and so on. And he gets kind of, he tells it much more um, inspirationally, I'll say, but you get sort of like to this ridiculous level at 11-star where it's like, uh, I think he gives the examples of like, um, bring the person over on a plane and you've got like a, a 5,000 people waiting on the, you know, get off the plane, cheering your name and all these <laughs> sorts of things. But, but this is really interesting exercise where you really challenge yourself and you get to this part where it's like eight, nine star, where you're pushing yourself, but it's actually kind of realistic mm-hmm. at the same time. And they give the Airbnb example of like, Well, maybe you go to and you stay at your accommodation and then somebody knows that you're into surfing and they've got, uh, you know, surf lessons already booked for you and they've got recommendations on all the restaurants and these sorts of things. And so if you really push yourself, then all of a sudden there's like some sweet spot in there where you can go really above and beyond and it's realistic to accomplish. Um, and so we, we do this exercise part of our onboarding process. We do it um, with the entire company. We break ourselves into teams and we consistently try to challenge ourselves. Uh, different stages of the customer journey. What's mm-hmm. an 11 star experience? We do workshops on these and we try to come up with
0: ideas and implement them uh, as well. But do you think that marketers get stuck in like the pre-sales portion of the buyer journey and don't even think about like the rest? Is that something you see pretty often?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of uh, emphasis on demand generation Mm -hmm. Um, for, and it's it's not for bad purposes, but I think there's a lot of, um, it's oftentimes B2B marketing gets centered on uh, the pre-sales portion, which is, uh, which is really critical. But the negative is when you really narrow in on that particular segment, it doesn't take into account the influence that all the other parts of the segment have on this one um, on that demand portion. And so if you have a fantastic customer experience from A to Z and post-sale, you're delivering credible experiences, customers are happy and um, and so on, that's gonna lead to more referrals. You can lead to more referrals, that's gonna um, get the flywheel going in that's sort of the HubSpot concept. And so we really look at it with that same concept of flywheel. It's the entire customer journey. Every part of the journey impacts the next part of the journey. Great customers, uh, great customer experiences are gonna lead to more referrals, more referrals are gonna lead to more pipeline and so on. And additionally, if we're not taking that whole thing into concept, uh, or if brands aren't taking the the entire journey into consideration and we're just thinking on pipeline, they're really not thinking about who is the best customer to sign up and who's gonna have the best post-sale experience because the customer that we're sourcing for pipeline generation and so on, once they become a customer, we want that to be the best fit possible. Where are the best NPS scores coming from? What are the best use cases and so on? Because that's how we're really going to accelerate um, further. And so it's critical to look at all, all the stages. And I think oftentimes B2B marketing gets really focused on um, that one, just that one
0: part of the journey without understanding how everything fits in together. Mm-hmm. Do you think that everything needs to be tied to a pipeline target? I mean, we're talking about brand here. So, you know, something cases, maybe not. Do you agree with that? Or what are your thoughts on that? Well, we look at a flywheel and so, um, and we use this concept um,
1: uh, quite habitually. And we look at um, uh, our pipeline, that's a critical measurement. Look at the revenue that's closing from that pipeline, making sure that uh, we're, we're really tight there. Uh, and we look, And then we look at the NPS score and we're mm-hmm. responsible on the marketing side for NPS scores. Um, and then we look at um, traffic and well, top of funnel, what's coming, and we look at this as a part of our flywheel. We want more folks coming to the website, more traffic. We want more pipeline, um, and then we want strong NPS scores. And if one of these things is leaking, if say our NPS scores are, are really dipping, then is that growth the healthiest growth? Mm-hmm. And is that going to really continue and, and pick up on the flywheel? And are we really creating, you know, the the um, um, the, the the raving fans and in, in gongs terms? Um, that uh, we want to be able to create and so we look at all three of those stages and we believe all are really critical
0: mm-hmm. i would love to dive into what you guys are learning from your mps i haven't heard a lot of people talk about it your mps score for those are listening it's the net promoter score right uh jeff yep yep what have you guys learned from that um well one is
1: one thing i'll say first and foremost there's different ways to do mps scores mm-hmm. And um, NPS score should not be a vanity metric. It shouldn't be something that you send uh, occasionally to on email to a customer, and then um, you know try try to manipulate it to have the best score possible. And so we have it. We've been tracking it from day one at AirCall uh, habitually and programmatically um, and unbiased, so that we can have a really good feel of a pulse um, uh, of the customer um and um i'd say the most interesting component there is oftentimes your happiest customers are not who you would expect them to be and if you're not really measuring and monitoring that mm-hmm. you, the disconnect between top of funnel who you're targeting and then how customers are using the product um what they think of the brand what maybe verticals, industries, what regions and geos, there's so much information to derive from that, it it completely informs the top of the funnel. And mm-hmm. so perhaps where we've had a lot of learnings that we didn't really see as the, the intent behind NPS, but has really come about is really understanding um, both strengths and weaknesses and you can have the same product but different verticals, different stages of a, com- of a company, different size co- size companies and so on really have a different experience. And so we can use that to fuel the top of the funnel and also to continuously improve product, customer experience and so on. So that it is it is our most core um, mechanism for feedback, both positive and negative on how to improve.
0: That's super interesting. And I we talked, about, we, we talked about
1: voice of customer earlier. Yeah. And much of our voice of customer is reflected in analyzing the feedback that we're getting from those scores uh, as well as many other survey points that we have or research points that we have. But this, we, we have this voice of customer program that puts in the perspective of what's happening there. It looks at the data, looks at the trends that are happening, gets feedback both qualitative and quantitative from customers so that we can better fuel an entire uh, the, the entire process.
0: That's awesome. So at this point of the interview, we're going to mix it up a bit. Uh, Everything has been awesome so far. This has been really good. I love this conversation. Um, I don't know if you've hosted a podcast before. What, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand you the mic. You can become okay. a podcast host to close this out here for the last few minutes or so. And if you have any questions you want to shoot my way to mix things up, uh, let's let's go for it. Okay. Uh, let me. I, I told you I would be spontaneous because I did not prepare for that.
1: <laughs> so let's 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 go with it. But um, number one, who is who's your podcast? inspiration like who do you emulate and who do who would you advise uh others other aspiring um podcast hosts to uh to check out uh chris walker that's going to be my number one uh yes he's uh, yeah. very
0: active on on uh on linkedin produces a lot of great content yeah yeah cool. i've followed him for a while love what they're doing at refine Labs. so that's a good one to check out i'm sure a lot of people listening to this have probably uh you know checked out what they're doing at the state of demand gen podcast but definitely go check that out if you haven't Cool. Um top th- three reads. One,
1: I'm gonna make this really complex now too. Okay. One um we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go with one that has to be a marketing book, mm-hmm. one is a general nonfiction, just w- w- nonfiction book, and then one just wild card.
0: Okay. Uh best marketing read. Maybe like the 22 immutable laws of marketing. I feel like that's broad enough to be like okay. a really good one. Yep. Um Nonfiction. i always get it mixed up does that mean it's real or not real i always no,
1: it. uh it's uh it's factual factual information. Uh,
0: i don't know if rich dad poor dad falls into that category but that's really good book mm. that's yeah, uh I think that counts, yeah pretty foundational good. for me yeah and then what was yeah. the third just just
1: wild card oh, okay. something that people wouldn't expect you know your, um, your...
0: what is i forget the name of it but uh shoot it's basically about how to manage your time so i forget the name I, i'm in the middle of it right now and i guess i don't look at the title very often but yeah. uh let's think let's see if i can find another one here another wild card i'll go with a marketing book building a story brand is is pretty good uh i have always building enjoyed that brand. book that's a good foundational one as well so those are the three i can't remember the other one about uh the time for- management thing apparently <laughs> yeah. I
1: per- for what, what, what advice would you give to somebody aspiring to build their own podcast and what what um secrets tricks have
0: you learned in building a successful podcast um a, a, a few different things number one is there are really no excuses to start because it's a lot easier than people think and it's not like you have to get this really expensive studio um i've slowly kind of upped the gear and we don't have like really crazy stuff i'm using a 40 dollar webcam uh like a 99 nine dollar yeti mic and i just bought these headphones before it was uh some airpods right We host our podcast on anchor for free and you can chop up videos in, uh, DaVinci resolve for free. If you wanted to, uh, you can use GarageBand to edit your podcast. Like there's really no excuse to get scrappy and create like a podcast that sounds good. Right. And the thing is people are coming for the quality of the information that you're bringing and delivering and not the quality of the information or like the sound quality that will come with time. Right. I'm okay. If like it's a really good guest and a really good topic, to listen to something that was recorded on airpods or sounds like someone was talking on the phone it's just how it is would i rather like really good sound of course and you can aspire to that but don't get your priorities backwards mm-hmm. interesting that next next question what's one of the most
1: what is something that you've learned from a podcast guest that's
0: just resonated and stuck with you over time uh the one that comes to mind the most, I had uh, a lady on our podcast, Phoebe uh, Nochi, I believe is her name. And she said, uh, co- content marketing is educational. It's not promotional. That stuck with me the absolute most, more than anything. I'm just like, yep. So I always have that in mind whenever I'm like creating content for LinkedIn or even a podcast, like this is not meant to be promotional. Like who is it going to educate? Because people come in wanting leads from their content, from what they, 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 in their podcast. They think it's going to be this lead gen machine, or maybe even like a blog. Like if some people think that they're going to get leads, right. Think about the educational side of what you're going to be delivering instead of trying to promote yourself. And the same thing goes with like a LinkedIn company page, Mm -hmm. way too promotional and no education.
1: Yeah. It's a a really good one. Uh, Content marketing is educational, not promotional. Mm -hmm. If uh, I'm a little disappointed know it wasn't something we talked about today, but that's a good one. <laughs> <in the West. laughs> but that one, that one uh, is, is a good one. Um, okay. My last, my last one here, who's, if you get up one guest on the show, who, like most inspirational, like aspire to guest on the, uh, that would be your dream guest. Who would that be?
0: Yeah. Um... I think it'd be cool to get like Dave Gearhart on the show. He's a, a B2B guy that's been gone for a while. I had honestly for a while it was Chris Walker uh, just because, you know, the B2B SaaS side of things. Um, and we had him on the show, which was cool. But I say like one guy that trying to get on, he actually turned me down. So if someone wants to tell him like, what the heck you doing, Dave? Uh, he said, I'm just too busy right now. Maybe he didn't, <laughs> like, maybe he didn't like me one or the other. <laughs> okay. but That'd yeah. be cool. That's probably the one that, that would be kind of nice. He's known in the SaaS space pretty well. Done some good stuff at Drift. So. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I think I'm out of questions at that point. All right, man. That was cool. I like <laughs> the rapid fire. That was a, a fun way to do it. I appreciate you yeah. You're having some fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Awesome, man. Well, to close us out, um, I always like to ask like what you guys do. Uh, so at Aircall, give us like your quick rundown of, of what you guys do and who you guys do it for. Yeah. We're a um, call
1: center and phone system for small medium-sized companies. Um, we focus on creating incredible um, uh, customer experiences and conversations and so really focus on real time information and making sure if you're a sales rep uh, if you're a support agent whatever you've got all, all the information have great conversations um, um, have great conversations um, we focus um, internationally um, so air calls present and we have offices across the United States um, uh, UK France, Germany Spain uh, Netherlands, um, Australia, and, um, and I'm probably forgetting a few uh, as well within there. So if, um, if, if you're looking for a phone system or if you've gone remote recently and you had one of those old desktop, you know, clunky things, um, check out Aircall. Easy to sign up. You can literally put your team on there in a few minutes and get going. Sign up for
0: numbers anywhere on the, in, on the planet as well. So that's, um, that's my spiel okay, here's my test. So what's your point of indifference? What is something that you guys don't do? Oh, I I think I alluded to it earlier, but we do not do dust bombs. This was something we'll never do. You pass the test. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'd be bad if I couldn't answer that question. (laughs) Well, that's awesome, man. Well, Jeff, thanks again for being here, man. Um, last question, where can we find out more about you? Are you pretty active on LinkedIn? Um, yeah, moderately active
1: on LinkedIn. I post some random stuff every once in a while. Um, Probably not as much as I should. So you can catch me on there. Maybe just if you go to my profile every single day, you might see something eventually. So if you're listening, just keep going back every single day. Just click on my profile and eventually I'll post something. (laughs) Um, uh, Outside of that, um, you can can find me in the, the great city of Minneapolis if you ever venture out here. I probably see me on cross country skis or something like that. <laughs> and, um, best way, if anybody wants to, um, ever contact me, I always give my air call phone number 646-712-9381. There's a nice little goodie in the voicemail. If uh, you get this and want to leave a
0: voicemail. So I'll end with that. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, Jeff, thanks again. This was a lot of fun and, uh, appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much, Sam.